Hi everyone, it's Joakim Akran, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In this episode, I'm talking with Herji Shu, the co-founder and CEO of Lucky Cat Games, a hyper-casual gaming studio from the Netherlands. Herji started Lucky Cat with his brother in 2015, and they've gone through an amazing journey at building a gaming studio, totally bootstrapped. In this episode, I talk with Herji about his approach to company building, rapid game development, and how to make tough decisions. Before we get into the episode, here's a few words from our sponsors. Hey, game developer. Are you looking for great new authentic video creatives? Try something totally new with influencer-generated content IGC by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific creative content for your games. An Opera Event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Get a free video with a purchase of four or more videos. Remember to say that elite game developers sent you to claim your free video. Go to getigc.com to see some examples and get more information. That's getigc.com. All right, Herji, we're live. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Joachim. It's really great to be here. Yeah, it's, we were talking about doing this a, a while ago already. I think it was 2019. And- and yeah, like yeah. Now, now we're finally doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's already 2021, uh, and again, uh, happy 2021 to you. Yeah, you too, man. Hey, <laughs> to kick it off, like let's go into some topics that I wanted to cover today with you. So, how did you get into game, into the game industry, and to eventually found Lucky Cat Studios? Well, I, uh, I haven't, I don't have any experience prior to Lucky Cat in the games industry. Uh, that's for sure. So we started five years ago and everything is uh, basically DIY. Uh, we did everything ourselves. Um, but my brother, he, he's been developing games pretty much his whole life since he was young, at a young age. Uh, I'll call him a basement developer, um, a hobby developer. Uh, and actually, we always wanted to, you know, I think a lot of, you know, when you're uh, young and uh, you're, a, you're a boy, want to start a game studio one day we had that same dream actually uh but actually like uh you know after i uh, graduated and he also graduated he actually started you know his own indie development companies but just by his by himself and uh and i uh went to do other uh entrepreneurial things uh and eventually after a life-changing event actually we uh decided to you know let fuck it let's just do it you know and yeah. uh, and that's actually how we found uh, Lucky Cat. Mm. You had that entrepreneurial experience before. Uh, you had a, a startup. Can you share some learnings that you took from that startup and applied them to make things better at at Lucky Cat? Yeah, um, I think like a lot a lot of people know. Uh, prior to Lucky Cat, I did eight uh, B five. That's a, a bubble tea company. But before that, actually, after my graduation and actually during my uh, studies, I actually did something completely different, uh, which is uh, arbitraging online casinos. 
Uh, it's something that not a lot of people know of, but uh, we found sort of like a system how to uh, yeah, g- gain money from uh, online casinos and arbitrage based on their uh, terms and conditions. So we made a lot of bots uh, that automatically played and uh, we know all the statistics about like blackjack and uh, roulette and those kind of things. And eventually that arbitrage went away. Then I decided, okay, let's, you know, I need to find another opportunity and what am I going to do? And I want to learn uh, more about, you know, starting businesses because basically uh, what we were doing is, you know, just like a day trader, you're sitting behind the computer all day. But I really wanted to work with people. And that is something that I learned from uh, 85, uh, you know, it, it, how hard it actually is to build uh, a business with, uh, with people, uh, how to manage people, uh, how to uh, inspire people as well. And uh, yeah, uh, building a, a great company slash product uh, at the same time. I think that that was my uh, yeah, biggest learnings, uh, you know, starting 85. Mm. Interesting. That then, if you think about like going to gaming, and you founded the company with your brother who had this garage uh, gaming experience, or did you call it like yeah. basement? <laughs> like yeah, right. that 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 mode. Like how how did you figure out then? What is the thing with gaming? Like how you need to approach gaming? Was there something that you you figure out there that like you together? basically had this insight of this is how we're going to do the games company or, or was there was there any insight well yeah the thing was like i've been a really big uh, apple fan you know since the iphone came out and from the start i you know uh, i i noticed i was playing less you know uh, console games and playing more and more uh, iphone games uh, yeah. since the beginning already when my brother became 18 or so, I gave him an iPhone as well. So we, we both played a lot of iPhone games. And uh, so we knew at the time what was trending. And uh, because, you, you know, you, you play for fun. And at the same time, because you also have this create, uh, creator mindset. So you always, always have in the back of your mind, like, hey, how, how are they doing things? Or how would they make uh, these kind of games? And... And at the time, I remember um, reward videos were kind of big. I think Frosty Road was uh, getting big as well. Uh, you know, very good game, very ins- uh, inspiring as well. Um, so we were like, okay, we're going to make these kind of games because they are not super difficult to make, right? Like like these hardcore games or like all these RPG games. And uh, it, it, it felt like within reach to, you know, make... A game like that with a very very small team yeah that's a good insight you you basically if you go after an rpg it's it's not going to be two people making that game uh, <laughs> no. in any any time soon at least <laughs> yeah like then i wanted to kind of like touch base on something we share because i also started next games my previous company with my brother who was one of my co-founders like do you see benefits there when you sort of like get get into like company building and starting a, a startup with with a brother like you did yeah that, that's a that's a really great question I get uh, asked a lot about about that because you know some some people have this experience with their brother or sister that you know they, they always had fights when they were younger right but yeah I think I think there's pros and cons uh, and when we talk about benefits I think it's that you can be 
so realistic um, and you, you don't really have to hold back because you, you know, at the end of the day, you're still brothers, right? So there's no, like if you have a business partner, you, you can basically say, okay, bye and I'll never see you again. But in this case, you know, we, we'll always see each other during uh, family dinners or other gatherings. But yeah, because we grew up, we, we know each other so well and um, and you can be so truthful to each other. And I think that has a lot of benefits because you don't really have to get political, you know? I think, and I'm not sure how you experienced that, but like with my brother, I like I, I, I never been political or anything. It's just, you know, I, I just say the things how they are and he mm-hmm. says how they think they are and sometimes get into a fight. But, you know, uh, you know how fights are with your brother. Uh, especially with men, uh, like after, uh, you know, uh, after a fight, it's, it's all good. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and then you get realistic and it's like, okay, so we, we, we told the things that we had on our chest and things are out and now we have to, you know, solve this problem. And, uh, yeah. And, and I think that trust is also one, uh, a very, uh, important part as well, because you, you can trust each other like a hundred percent. And that that's definitely a, a big benefit, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I, I I totally agree on that. Like having that history together, knowing basically everything you could know, <laughs> like about the personality and how how like you've settled things in the past over the decades, uh, it helps. Like for me, it was a bit like my mom's side. She was an entrepreneur for like basically forty. 40 years and always worked with her brothers uh, together. And they always would really have a really good relationship, even the tough times. So it was like an example that it's, it can really like work to build actually a family business. Um, Of course, there's, there are like these kind of bad examples, at least, at least my, my father-in-law actually, when I was starting next games, he was like, so you're going to, do this with your brother because he had some bad experience actually starting his company with his brothers. So I think it, it really depends on the dynamics, the family dynamics and everything. So yeah, I at least felt that it would be a good idea and it, it worked out really well. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you just mentioned about personality, I think that is also very important. So if, if I compare myself to my brother, I mean, he's more like an introvert, I'm definitely more of an extrovert and, you know, because, uh, I'm the oldest, I always had more responsibility. Uh, I always had to be an example, right? Uh, I'm not sure how that was in your family, but like the oldest always had to be an example and, you know, and he, he is fine with that. It's not like, you know, we have like few captains in, in the company. He, like he, he trusts me completely with, you know, my, in my responsibilities to the, to do the business side. And he's more of a tech uh, person. So, yeah, we, we fully know each other and um, we, we respect each other's um, responsibilities and what we need to do. Yeah, that's actually a really good point to kind of like have both side of the side of the coin kind of covered. So I was the tech and business and my partner was always the art and yeah. kind of crea- creative person. So there, there was some overlap regarding like creating products. But I think it was still like really clear that there's so much to do, like to to make games that we were really complementing each other really well. Yeah, I think that yeah. that is super important to be 
uh, complementary. And yeah, if you can replace each other, uh, I mean, I think it could work well, but it's most importantly to, to not do the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to be fighting up about like weird things, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Hey, hey, I wanted to cover the, the company building stuff that you've gone through with Lucky Cat. Like, what have been these hardest lessons for you to learn from your startup journey now regarding company building, which would be like hiring, uh, culture, everything? Yeah, I think, I think we can talk for like three hours if we, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if we have to cover, uh, cover this question. No, I'm like... Uh, to sum it up, uh, and um, thinking back, uh, that, that's definitely quite uh, some lessons. I think the when you build a company with people, uh, the hardest part is um, that I think. Um, and as I mentioned, like with with my brother, I I don't know. Like it, it's it feels like really easy, right, to to work with him. But like if you have new people on board. Um, also, what you're doing is something that, for example, I, I'm not just sure about Finland, but the Netherlands, there's not a big mobile game uh, community, and it, you know, it, so and making mobile games to me is like very different than you know making a console game, and especially when you when you look at hyper casual genre, it's it's again another way of making games again. Than you know, traditionally making games. So, so when it comes to people, and the hard lesson is like uh, how to educate them, uh, how to make sure that you know they uh, know the best practices in in this field of uh, making this type of game, which what you you know are envisioning for for the company and the products uh, of the company. But at the same time, like, like uh, yeah, hiring in general is is also very difficult. I would say have to definitely come up with some sort of a method and especially in the beginning like you you know you think like oh we need we need as many people as possible uh, and, and I believe that a lot of uh, probably entrepreneurs have made this mistake uh, like more people is more uh, is faster work but it, that's definitely not the case uh, but also um, not only hiring but also firing faster like you know keeping you know uh, employees on board who are, you know, not happy uh, and you're like, hey, you know, uh, keep trying to, yeah, make make things work out. But actually, you already know in the back of your mind uh, instinctively that probably it's not going to work out. Yeah, I would say hiring and firing. Yeah, how, how, regarding hiring, like how, like do you, has the, the mentality changed from early on? Like I, I'm thinking, because you guys are doing hypercasual games do you hire people who who really like don't have anything against hypercasual do you do you think about that uh, when you're hiring these people that they would sort of like come from a background or that they would prefer even working on these kind of games what do you think i think it helps when people prefer this kind of genre right uh, when they are playing these games in their spare time but i think the most important part is that uh, people have an open personality that they are open to uh, trying out new things because yeah we both know that the mobile games industry is is a very fast paced uh, and very fast changing industry so you have to you know sort of like keep updated and also 
try to think ahead a little bit, like, you know, what's going to be the next trend or so. So you have to be very open-minded. And I think that is actually more important than, you know, than someone who is uh, like a really big fan of just playing high potential games. It's, it's more about, you know, having that sort of like creator mindset and uh, being open to uh, experimentation and embracing experimentation as well and learning from ex- experimentation. I think that is uh, super important in, in someone. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of big passion for curiosity where where the mobile gaming space is going. That's really Yeah, cool. Yeah, curiosity is, I, th- I think it's, uh, it's an underestimated uh, trait, uh, you know, and... and yeah, people who are very curious are actually the best uh, in your company. How do you hire, do that, like evaluation, when you're hiring somebody, if they're curious or not? Do you have specific questions or, or tasks or what, what do you do? Yeah, we, 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 uh, for developers, for example, we, we deploy a, a test. Um, and it's basically just a, an hyper-casual game test. Before we did, uh, actually, we, we ha- had developers uh, remake Flappy Bird with a twist. Mm. And yeah, to be fair, I have seen the most original Flappy Bird games ever from some people. And, you know, and those people are working uh, now at our company. Uh, but so, yeah, it's sort of like both cu- curious because you're curi- curious for how how to make a twist and also um, blends in with the creativity of a person. And that is how we uh, test it. But also, yeah, we have questions around like, uh, you know, how would you do X, Y, Z better than, uh, for, for example, uh, comparing to this uh, game mechanic? That's actually the area that sort of like I'm curious next about this. Like you, you guys are in the sector of mobile games, but you have bootstrapped the company so far and you never raised funding. Was that Was that an obvious choice? Because I think... Like in hindsight, you definitely like appear to be a company that would really fit into the VC model really well. <laughs> yeah, um, we uh, at at the start we didn't even think about getting investments. To be fair, we were so focused on we were so focused on making something and releasing something, and you know, obviously, um, I had a successful uh, career. Uh, before so i could you know put in some money but but we started very humble like we only had the first thing we did was go to a game development meetup in uh, in, in the netherlands somewhere and we uh put a note on on the board saying like we were tr- uh, you know we were, we were trying to find a, 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 a intern pixel artist and uh, someone uh, replied and uh, like uh, i think it was the day after uh, you know, my brother's a developer, and I set up the whole company business-wise, and that's how we started actually. And I didn't even think about money. I think I just put in like five uh, k or ten k or something in the company. So, like, you know, we didn't take any salary or whatsoever. We just really focused on how can we make something that directly make makes an impact with as you know little effort as possible. But I mean, yeah, little effort as possible. Mm. Yeah, and then that like if you're focusing on on doing like games that are are casual, simple, uh, easy to produce, you don't really need that VC money to get things going. If you can ship a game quickly and see where that gets you, and then then you know do another 
moment of decision making like do we raise funding to to build something out of this or do we just continue in this mode yeah it, it for me it felt sort of like a distraction and i think also what what really really helped is that at the time when we started the featuring of 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 these platforms like apple and google did have an impact on uh, the revenues like nowadays it has less of an impact i would say so we we were lucky to get in contact and you know show off uh, our game and uh, you know they really liked it we had a very unique marketing strategy and you know uh, worked with celebrity internet cats um, can talk about that a bit uh, a little bit later but uh, yeah so we, we yeah we, we did have times and we were also lucky to have you know our first game did bring in some money in order to think about what we we're going to do next so obviously Usually, if if that didn't happen, you have to start thinking like, okay, we need money to you know build the next thing. But we can you know, organically sort of like grow and uh, build the next game. Yeah, was that was that growth sort of like was it slow first and then it picked up, or how would you describe the years that you've been building Bucket Cat in a bootstrap mode? I think it's it's definitely um, it's definitely not fast. I would say and. I'm sort of like um, against, I, I, yeah, I, I think we didn't grow very fast. We it was just, we still have like only quote unquote three teams basically inside the company that 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 build games. And, you know, I I think at this time we could have, have had uh, maybe 10, uh, yeah, more teams, maybe up to 10 or something if we wanted to. But I, I think it's more about you know quality uh, and make sure that you know the people that we have on board that are happy inside the company, and uh, we um, yeah we have a sort of a, a focus. I think from the start that that focus is just um, and being flexible as well because there were times as uh, as well because as you know the the Apple featuring had less of, you know less of an impact later on, so we really had to sort of I felt like bootstrapping the company again. Uh, into uh, another uh, genre. So when you started the company, you started doing casual games. You were looking at Crossy Road and things like that. And you eventually moved to hyper casual. Can you talk about those initial thoughts you had about the genre, the the, the casual gaming market, and then deciding to pivot towards the, the model, which is now called hyper casual? Yeah. We saw Harper Casual obviously coming up, and we were at the time uh, we saw Apple features had less of an impact, um, and we had to think about like, hey, how can we still you know make games with a small team? I think that is uh, you know one of the most important uh, parts or things that we wanted to keep doing. Like we uh, we tried sort of like making a micro game with Beat Street actually, uh, and we had like. Um, six seven people uh, working on one game and we all found that very well we had some struggles actually and found it kind of difficult to to do that and wanted to be more flexible uh, you know like a lot of uh, try to think of like you know what you know what would what kind of genre would fit uh, for us as with, with smaller teams and and at the time hyper casual was coming up and we saw these games and my initial thought first was like i, I think a lot of people thinking that wow these games actually look pretty terrible <laughs> but they play so nice you know and 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 the gameplay is so so focused on gameplay 
And um, yeah, we we're kind of surprised. Like uh, you know, people uh, there's an audience for for this type of game, uh, for these type of games. So yeah, we we pivoted to uh, hyper casual. Um, it wasn't that easy, I must say, like because it's just a really different way of thinking, right? Because you have to first think about the creatives from marketing pr- perspective, basically, and also very focused on gameplay. Don't don't try to add too much stuff, basically that deviates too much from the core gameplay. But yeah, that means that you have to be very focused on just, you know, gameplay and keep it simple. And with a small team, you, you know, you can keep things simple. Yeah, I think that that is why Hypercasual uh, was a really good fit for us. And, you know, we really like being in this market and we really like uh, making these games as well. That, that, like, if you go back to that moment where you were, where you had the bigger team working on this one game and like, how did you initiate the discussions towards like a pivot? Because I think a lot of startups can actually have moments like these, but they don't take action and actually decide to to pivot. Like, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, this is this is a very good question, actually. Um, let me think about that because I think the the biggest issue is people are getting in sort of like this mode of um, you get used to sort of like a routine, right? And yeah, that's the word I'm trying to find. Like you're getting a sort of like a routine and and I always try to, maybe I'm questioning too much. Uh, I think that's also one of my, uh, maybe one of my uh, uh, weaknesses, but you question yourself like, and after each project, I think it's very important for every, you know, development studio or studio to do is you always have to ask yourself like, hey, how did this project go? You know what, what could go better, what they would learn, and actually, with uh, this uh, midcore project, we we were like, no, this is definitely not something that we want to do in the future. And uh, and yeah, you can you know keep thinking about it for a long time, but we were we are always like, you know, let's just do things first, and then we'll see you know what what happens. Uh, and I think we did these things uh, experimentation, as I mentioned before. Is super important, and I think hyper casual initially was an experimentation as well. Try to figure out like how, at the time, the biggest hyper casual publisher, how they do things, and try to apply that to to yourself and think like, hey, does this fit in our company model? How do people think about this? And actually, people were also very sort of like interested or curious, and uh, because that, that's also why we. Um, while we hired uh, these these people, uh, we were all curious about like how you know how does this work? How can we implement this kind of model in inside the company and uh, naturally grow uh, grow from there? Yeah, and uh, is it basically the like cause it could feel in startups where you have like a lot of ownership distributed to everybody, but then you get into that routine. And then somebody needs to kind of like voice out that, hey, we need to, you know, start reflecting better on like what we should be doing right now. Maybe there's a pivot coming. Do you think it's the CEO who should be taking that? Oh, for that sure. Role? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 100%. I, I, I mean, I, I never really heard um, another person than, than the CEO uh, doing a pivot inside a company. That would feel a bit strange. I mean, I don't know if you have any examples, but mm. I think it's the role of uh, of the CEO, or you know, uh, yeah, definitely the CEO that that needs to initiate that and you know, need to think about what's what's the best for the company, 
And what's the best for the people, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you see people getting very stressed out, uh, working on some projects, and then, yeah, if you're going to redo it. I mean, probably, and also the question, like, you know, maybe it wasn't more, I mean, it's not that it, it wasn't successful. So we could have, you know, made another project like that uh, and hired more people, for example, because then we could have multiple uh, more mid-core or hardcore projects. But, you know, if, if you see the people that aren't, you know, happy to do it, then I think it, it doesn't make any sense. Makes sense, yeah. Uh, then question about, like, what you write, what you guys are doing right now, which is mm-hmm. in the hyper-casual space. I, I wanted to, to walk you through or walk our audience through the kind of the development of your latest game, this Magic Finger 3D. Like what kind of team size you had there? How was it soft launched? And what kind of metrics were you wanting to see before you started scaling the UA? And and like you said, you probably started off with the creative side. Can you can you walk us through that process? Yeah, so uh, Magic 3D is uh, not done internally. It's done by an external team uh, from Sweden. Uh, really great guys. Um, and yeah, it's, we started with thinking about like uh, what kind of cool mechanic can we use. And we were just randomly talking about uh, the Half-Life 2 gra- gravity gun, basically. So from there on, uh, we let the team do their own thing. And they came up very fast, actually. I think within two days, actually, with this mechanic, we tried it out. It felt really great. Uh, then it made like, uh, I think like a, sort of like a more polished version the next day, but just one day. And then basically within three days, we had could record gameplay videos and then test the creative. And from the creative uh, uh, metrics, we could see there was a lot of potential because we saw very high click-through rates. And uh, then within a week, we had like 20 levels and then we could start doing these retention tests and we saw a retention of 40% plus and, and uh, play time of like uh, 15 minutes. And we're like, okay, there's only this limited amount of levels, but people just keep playing and playing. You know? And that is actually what you want to see, right? Because the core gameplay is so satisfying, so nice to play that, you know, people keep coming back while you don't have, you know, that many levels actually. Mm-hmm. So and I eventually grew to uh, 50% plus day one. And um, yeah, these are actually the most ideal soft launch metrics you, you want to see, right? And I think it went very smooth, actually. It, 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 I think this was sort of like the stars were all aligned or something. <laughs> really yeah. difficult to... Uh, I, I wouldn't say this is a great example of how, you know, how every project uh, will go. But uh, yeah, in this case, all the stars were aligned. How did you sort of like put out the the idea of the gravity gun where did that come from how how did you internally like discover that concept and how did you sort of iterate on that concept before you sent it to the team yeah looking looking back i think it actually came from another game which i don't i don't remember exactly it's something that that's sort of like i've i've seen something uh, which is not like the gra- gravity gun, but more like a Star Wars game or, or whatever, where the, you, they use the force. And then it's sort of like click, like, hey, why why couldn't we, you know, make something like a gravity gun? 
And I think like there's so much unconscious ideas you have in the back of your mind. Like it's really difficult to 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 explain obviously the the creative process, but it's sort of like uh sometimes you really have that click, you know, it, it can it can be anywhere. And in this case, we're just brainstorming and I was just you know, I was talking about well, what about gravity gun, the guy, and then I mean, we didn't execute on this idea, uh, but it was just gravity gun as a idea, and then they executed on this prototype, which I think was a very well executed uh, way of, of of that idea. Was it like, uh, did you run creative tests before you started the the project, putting actual? Uh, sometimes we do, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes we do, yes. Yeah, yeah. That that's an interesting moment since. Like you wanted to build a game and get the numbers. How long did it take to actually get it into the app store from the concept? Uh, I think within a week. Man, that's yes. yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, and that is why I love Hypercasual so much. You can just next to it being super competitive, right? It is so easy to you know create a concept or game mechanic and launch it. Well, first you can even launch it without having any. Uh, a gameplay like you can have a you know a producer or someone can make a, a creative without code as you mentioned or you can just do code but very minimalistic just you know you don't even have to have like a win or fail state because you can uh, a creative manager can just add add that in and you just have a sort of like a gameplay concept but you can test so fast nowadays it's it's pretty crazy actually yeah what do you kind of favor at the moment as a as a test cohort that like in January 2021? Yeah, we we, we still um, we just test in the US basically um, mm. and just target everyone and see you know uh, if 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 this kind of game idea sticks and if you know people click on this idea, I, th- I think that's that is just it's still the best way to to do. I, I yeah I, I don't know how to do it differently actually I, I think it's just uh, it's amazing what kind of tools there are these days just for testing yeah it is great yeah so how have you structured the ownership to the game team since the the whole time window there one week from first line of code to actually getting into to having metrics I think the the whole decision making is pretty straightforward but do you have like a flat hierarchy? Yeah. For your team. Super flat. Yeah. Yeah, it needs to be super flat. Otherwise, you cannot be that fast, I think. Um, and usually yeah. with hypercash, what you see is, you know, there's not even a sort of like a producer. Like we also, um, I mean, we want to extend with a product manager because we actually this year, we want to build out a bigger team. And we really feel like there's, especially with new people coming in and trying to educate them uh, because most of the people we have currently, they are within the company for uh, quite some years. Uh, mm-hmm. So they are very familiar with the process, but so, you know, that's why it's super flat and basically they, you know, yeah, the teams don't need a producer. It's like, we have the idea, we test it. And if the idea is good, you know, you can just build, build it out with code uh, and then test again. So it's super iterative and uh, yeah. And, and the process is, I would say pretty much the same every time with a kind of little bit of deviation uh, for each project, but it's um, as long as if you have tested the game concept, it's, it's much easier to move forward and, you know, building out the game. So our structure is uh, very flat uh, at Lucky Cat. How do you 
like you bring these new newcomers in, what are you teaching to them? What are the critical things there? It's like you thinking, because I think traditionally people think like, okay, I have to build a really kick-ass game with a lot of polish, a lot of extras to make sure that the player thinks, you know, this game is the best of the best. But at the end of the day, a lot of things are actually not necessary. Like you, if you, yeah, it's sort of like peeling an onion and you only have the core of the onion, that is enough to taste the onion, basically, you know? And uh, I think that is the one thing that we always teach them, like, uh, you know, the core gameplay, just the, the main mechanic is is enough. We don't need a lot of polish around uh, everything. Can you give an example of what could be obvious for for another person that the game needs? But like, what is the lucky cat sort of like secret sauce there that is enough for the core of the onion? It's a good one. It really comes down to details because there's so many features you can think of in a game. For example, oh, okay, this is a good one actually. For example, a, a shop to unlock different skins, right? And you feel like that is, that is necessary because probably you've seen that in all of other games. Uh, and you also need reward videos, right? Because they are, yeah, they perform very well. And uh, yeah, it, it's a rewarded video. So, you know, uh, it's a lot of extra incentive for the user to watch them. Uh, but if you want to add a reward video, you really need to build a content, right? And actually, all that content is not that necessary. We've seen that, you know, from our side, it doesn't add no, it doesn't add that much uh, of a value in terms of you know gameplay time and retention. And 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 in some cases, even we've seen adding a shop or reward video uh, decreases, you know, the the metrics. Which, yeah, I also find quite. Uh, I uh, was quite surprised about that, uh, you know, but that is a thing that you can basically skip from the beginning. Like that's not necessary. Yeah. I, I always thought about that, that idea when you're sort of like have data, which tells you the game works or not. Like the more stuff you put in there, it's the harder it is to pick the things that don't work. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, we had that experience a couple of times. Like uh, we we added more things and more things. It's like we don't see any game. Like the metrics are not going up, and we were like, okay, now it has to go up, right? Like we we're adding more reward video uh, reward video options, right? But you can see like the amount of videos people watch. It's sort of like still limited. They don't watch. Yeah, like most of the time they don't watch like twenty reward videos, right? In in a day. It is still limited to like at a maximum of two or three. And if you have a really good mid-core game, maybe or like mid-core-ish, hyper-casual-ish, like this this hybrid method, maybe it can go up to uh, eight or so. But like um, at a certain point, there's, there's a max like uh, of of a play time. So, hmm. what's your approach to to killing a game, or what what does the team do? Um, yeah, for, for us, that's really simple. Uh, and I guess that that's the same for every hypercasual publisher is that, you know, if you don't see the creative metric working, then then you just uh, kill the project. Mm. Has it ever been like a, a tough decision where you didn't really like know why it didn't work? Versus yeah. Like, like that, I yeah. think this is, this is yeah. the thing that I see a lot of studios killing a project because they saw day one was like 28%. For a game which could have had better, 
And then the team is sort of like, oh, it just had bad metrics. Now we're going to do this other game. And they didn't really like figure out why it had bad metrics. What are your thoughts yeah. there? Yeah, that that's a really good mention there because I had the same discussion with my brother because he was also like, hey, but we, at, at a certain point, we were killing games a bit too fast. And he said, like, we're not even asking ourselves why. We're just killing them and just moving on to the next one. Well, what are we learning here? And uh, I, I, I do agree. Like, uh, But we also have been... In some cases, we, we've seen, you know, um, there's a game and then we saw day one retention of 30% and then we keep iterating and then for a couple of weeks even, and then it keeps on being 30%. You're doing so many A-B tests and it just doesn't change, but somehow the creative is still working like crazy, right? It's like mm-hmm. so frustrating and, 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 you know, it's like, oh, we are a studio, so for us it should be easy to build a game, right? But yeah, like when do you kill a game is a very difficult, um, I think it's a very difficult decision because first of all, it's also important that developers shouldn't be emotionally attached to a game. Also, uh, you know, as a founder or a producer or whatever, it's really important not to be too emotionally attached because then you can look at it more rationally. And also you should give yourself definitely a constraint, like uh, as you mentioned, like, uh, okay, 20%. Uh, let's do two more rounds of iteration because also I think, you know, your creativity will run out, right? Uh, I'm not sure how you experienced that before, but what we experience is that if we do like four iterations at a certain point, your creativity runs out. And I'm pretty sure like, and there were some concepts with, which we've seen that, uh, which were sort of like copied or done by another hypercasual publisher and they made it successful and and we didn't but for me i'm like i'm fine with that because you know we did come up with that iteration and they thought of that sort of like iteration or feature that made it you know like maybe 10 times better than how we did it it's 10 times more satisfying to play and if you cannot come up with that idea yeah there's no point of you know bashing yourself or hitting yourself with the head it's just that's just how it is yeah, I'm, I'm often seeing a lot of developers bringing something from, you know, PC, like a turn-based game to mobile, and then they're building it for a year, and then it has really bad metrics, and they're like, what's going on? Like, this is a great game, but... And I, I've sort of, like, come to think about this, this thing that, okay, the audience for this game, they're already playing it on PC, and that, mm. that's the people who who love the game, yeah. Uh, and they're like everybody else who's on mobile, like as well as on PC, have already played it on PC and have had that experience. So in a sense, like like you're not like sort of tapping into a blue ocean at all, since the yeah. the audience is already playing similar game or played for years. So yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. Hey, some hot seat. CEO questions for you. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. Bring it on. Yes. What common industry advice do you disagree with? I would say this term I just read, actually, I never knew really about it. It's uh, OPM, uh, Other People's Money. Have you heard about it? I'm just reading the book about Maybe. Netflix, actually. Yeah, oh. so so in Silicon Valley, people apparently always talk about OPM, which is stands for Other People's Money. Always use Other People's Money. 
and yeah, apparently that's uh, uh, yeah uh, common uh, startup advice. And um, it's yeah, as you know, we bootstrapped everything, and the company before eighty five also bootstrapped, and also my other adventure also bootstrapped. You know, so I, I I don't really agree with you know always taking an investment. I think it can be a big distraction, and um, should really focus on you know making a great product uh, and make sure. It, that you, I mean, with the tools that are out today, and um, you can just create something so simple, which have the core functionality functionalities. Um, you know, it doesn't per se even have to be a game. You know, as long as it's like uh, an online product, right? Like a website or a, like a service app or whatever. You can test it, prototype it, and uh, build it really easy without actually uh, other people's money. Because I. I like I had, you know, I had people, you know, pitching me apps uh, for an investment and, you know, they were like, oh, we need like 200K to build this prototype. And it's like, wow, you know, <laughs> it's just crazy. Like, yeah, we need to hire an agency, you know, to create this app. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's going to cost us 200K. And it's like, no, no, you, you need like 5K at the tops. Just yeah. ask your, you know, mom and dad or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. How should game developers balance between innovation and, and proven ideas? Mm. I think innovation is something that you need to, it's a word that you need to cap. It's a very broad word. So innovation, for example, if when we talk about games or mobile games, you know, something innovative can also be, I know, using your phone to, I know, to, to, uh, to dance with each other or, um, you know, using the gyroscope to do very uh, crazy things with uh, with groups of people or whatever. But probably that's not going to work, you know. So you definitely have to balance that between, uh, like, inno- innovation means something that is a new experience. It's more from the UX point of view. I think that is how you should think of innovation. And, uh, yeah, proven ideas, yeah, basically just don't copy. Um, I mean, try to think, you know, combine proven idea A and B and then come up with C because then it's a new, I call that innovation as well. Mm, Yeah. Uh, What's really hard about your job? That would be making uh, decisions based on 100 scenarios you have in your head. (laughs) (laughs) And questioning yourself all the time, you know, are you doing the right thing? Is it the right thing? And if you, and also if you made the decision, you know, it's like, did I do the right thing? You know, so it's actually, am I doing the right thing? And did I do the right thing? And am I going to do the right thing? So, yeah, I, I, th- I think, yeah, that that's probably for each uh, CEO. And if you really care about your job, you, you know, you, you uh, think about these things all the time. Some final questions for you, Herja. Uh, your favorite book and why? Um, yeah, as I mentioned, I'm a big fan of um, Apple, and that's actually because of uh, Steve Jobs. So his biography is definitely one of uh, my favorite books. But uh, but also his um, his speech during um, his commencement speech of Stanford University. Probably you know that as well. That was a big inspiration actually for me um, uh, after. Uh, graduating so i was really like okay um, uh, i'm I'm gonna do things that i like 
myself. I really want to, you know, uh, be an entrepreneur. I'm just going to try to figure out what I want to do. And looking back, you know, I'm now 35. Looking back, I think uh, that has such a big impact actually on my life. And uh, so therefore, yeah, um, the biography of Steve Jobs. And there's one more book also, um, I'm sure if you know it, The E-Myth Entrepreneur. It was also a very good book about how you should approach uh, being an entrepreneur. Um, and then this book takes an example of a woman who starts a bakery. And at a certain time, she she's not inspired anymore to uh, run the bakery because, you know, she's late at night still cleaning her own bakery shop day in, day out, uh, you know, waking up very early, uh, starting the bakery. Uh, and, and then they explain like how to get out of this sort of like a sluggish uh, role or routine, because that's not why you became an entrepreneur. Yeah. And uh, it's a really good book. Uh, I can definitely recommend everyone to, to read it. Yeah, that's a good one. Do you have a story that has shaped you in how you approach your, your work today? Um, yeah, uh, I think you can. What I always say is that you can only go to plan C through plan B. And so that means, you know, you, you should keep trying. And that actually happened with our first game when we uh, made Domcat. We, you know, we really wanted to have all the famous insect cats on board. And uh, we first approached, you know, the biggest insect cats like Grumpy Cat and Garfield and uh, Neon Cat and those those kind of cats. Um, but that didn't work out. So uh, what I actually did eventually was, you know, approaching other uh, famous internet cats that are not that super famous, but they were quite big on, you know, on social media still have like two, three million followers. So at, at, at the one point we had like 10 of these famous in, internet cats on board. And because, you know, that world is quite small, the bigger guys like the grumpy cat and Garfield, uh, they, they, they knew that we had all of these other cats on board. So, you know, eventually they also wanted to be in the game. So I would say, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, keep trying and you can only, you know, uh, go to plan C through plan B. Mm, good one. So as the final question, if there's entrepreneurs out there who are thinking about starting a gaming studio or have questions, what's the, the best way to to get in contact with you? Definitely LinkedIn. Uh, just find me at uh, Herji Zhao. Uh, and uh, yeah, you can reach out uh, there. Thanks, Herji. This was so much fun. Really good. Yeah, thank you answers. too. Yeah. Take care, man. Hopefully thank see you, you at, at a conference soon. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, Herji, for coming on the show. To get more on Elite Game Developers, please go to EliteGameDevelopers.com and sign up to our newsletter, where we share a lot of details on gaming startups how to build companies, game development, and much more. See you next week. Bye-bye.